A 2018 study from the Music Industry Research Association found that 50% of musicians reported battling symptoms of depression. That's compared with less than 25% of the general adult population. We wanted to find out why. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Untangling the Chords, a podcast from WFUV News and Sound Minds Live, focusing on the relationship between music and mental health. In this podcast, mental health experts, advocates, and musicians will share their expertise and experiences on the issue of mental health and provide practical advice on how to handle mental health challenges. In this episode, we check in with Patsy Dolan Baressa of the Sims Foundation. The Austin, Texas based organization provides services to help musicians, music industry professionals, and their dependent family members improve their mental wellness and combat addiction. Patsy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Yeah, thanks, George. So there is a very important story behind the Sims Foundation. Can you share that story with us? Absolutely. Um, Back in the early 90s, there was a band here by the name of Pariah, and they were really kind of hitting their stride and and had signed a record deal. Um, And back in those days, everyone who was in the music industry basically recorded, um, hung out, uh, produced their music, everything in one building, and it was called The Ark. Um, And Pariah was part of that that family. Um, And their bassist was a young man by the name of Sims Ellison. And those around him, which was everybody inside The Ark, knew that he suffered with depression, um, but, you know, didn't really talk to him about it saw him, thought he was okay, and then he died by suicide. Um, And that really shook the entirety of Austin's music scene at that point in time. And so his family, along with a few others, the owners of the Ark and some other folks there, um, banded together to start the Sims Foundation, mainly because if you speak to any of the founders, they'll tell you that each of them have now lost over a thousand people, whether to suicide or to drug overdoses or accidents stemming from drugs or alcohol. And um, so that they really wanted to make sure that no other musicians had to, to suffer that fate. Um, and that's how we were born. I understand that Sims like to wear funky hats and lederhosen while performing on stage. Yeah, he did. It's really kind of cool. Um, we've got all these pictures in our office. Um, there was one that's he and his brother Kyle were in the van together and they're in this part of town where they're just on this big rock and they kind of really look more like they should have been from the 60s again, with the funky hats and the kind of unique clothing. But yeah, he did. He was, I didn't ever, I never knew him, but apparently he had quite the personality. So how does the Sims Foundation work? Um, So we initially were started just for musicians and the idea had initially been mental health only. Um, And then quickly they realized you can't really separate substance use and mental health. So they expanded to that. And now I think it's eight years ago is when we expanded to anyone in the music industry musicians and their dependent family members. So essentially the way that we work is once you're a client, we have what's called our SIMS network of providers. So these are everything from private practitioners doing counseling in in their office to psychiatrists, to intensive outpatient, partial hospitalization, acute uh, psychiatric hospitals, and then the same, all the levels of care on substance use. Um, and they contract with us to be part of our provider network. So we interview those people. We, we choose them very carefully to be part of our network. And then they take a vastly reduced rate from Sims to see our clients. Um, so basically somebody comes to us, they become a client after doing their paperwork. Um, they'll have a complete assessment with one of our clinicians in-house to make sure we understand what the person's needing. 
We take the time to provide a lot of education at that point to either the client or their loved ones or both um, about all their levels of care. So we, we recognize that to be in recovery from either a mental health issue or a substance use issue, it's your recovery. I can't tell you how to do it. it what works for one may not work for the other. So we're really careful to make sure we're explaining all the options to them so that they can choose what feels right for them in that moment. And then we connect them to the appropriate provider that fits all of their needs. And then they just go and see that person or go into that facility um, and start doing their work. An emphasis on substance abuse recovery is something that's critically important in the U.S. today, as the nation has been grappling with a deadly opioid epidemic. Over 67,000 people died from a drug overdose in 2018, with prescription opioids responsible for 70% of those deaths, according to the CDC. Texas made up 2% of the 2018 number, totaling 1,400 drug overdose deaths. Remember, the Sims Foundation is based in Central Texas, a place that is a super vibrant music scene. I wanted to learn more about the role the Sims Foundation plays in Austin in helping to combat addiction and improve mental health, and what it's like right now in the midst of a pandemic. Gosh, um, I mean, it's such a hard question because I think we're all feeling the impact of the pandemic um, in our own ways. So um, it's interesting to sort of, from my perspective, talking to all these people in the industry and all of their fears and, and worries while all of us, all, everyone around us are feeling the same. But I think I'll speak specifically to Austin because I'm, I live here and this is the part that I get to see every single day. And that is, it's, it's right now people are very scared. They're very uncertain. Will there ever be live music? Will any of these venues survive? So in Austin yesterday, we really were shut to our core when one of our like well-known long-term uh, venues announced we're, we're calling it quits. And so every time that happens, it just sends a shockwave through the industry. Um, so, I mean, everybody I think overall are just really fearful and uh, stressed about the uncertainty of it. Um, and then bear in mind that for these folks, again, they have to work multiple jobs to, to even do what they do. Um, all of their other jobs are in the service industry, which is also all shut down. So, you know, there's just that, that, just that constant stress and worry that comes from not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. Have you been seeing an increase in demand for your services, for your resources? Yes. Yes, we have. Almost from the second it hit Austin. Um, no one thought South by Southwest would be canceled. And then when it got canceled, the reality of what was coming really sort of hit all of us. And immediately we started to see an uptick. In March, we saw, I don't have the percentages exactly in front of me, but it was around 30% increase over last year in the number of people calling us. And it's just continued to go higher and higher each month. And the really concerning thing is the level of um, crisis people are in. Initially, it was like, I, I kind of need to get in with a counselor because I'm feeling really anxious. And now it's people losing 30 years in recovery from a substance. They've had a reoccurrence of use. It's Folks who have never, uh, ever thought of self-harm or, um, you know, God forbid, killing themselves. And that's, that's what's happening now is people are really at that degree where they can't take it anymore. Um, so it, it, we're, it's very concerning. How have you had to pivot as an organization in the pandemic to meet these needs? You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question because a lot of other nonprofits here in Austin who deal with folks in the industry in one way or the other have had to pivot a lot because of what they would normally do, whatever that might have been. Um, we have just been like doing business as usual to a degree. 
Um, certainly we've had to expand our, our provider network, which is unfortunate because we're having to do it in a time where I can't do the proper interviewing and making sure everything's full, cool, but we're, we're getting overrun with people who need counseling. Um, it's, it is looking at um, the uniqueness of people's situations. So for example, uh, part of our eligibility is when you come to us, you have to be able to provide proof that you've earned some portion of your income in the music industry. And typically it's in the last 12 months. But for many of our, especially musicians, their big playing time is during South by. So they don't have, they didn't get to play. So now we've, we've changed our eligibility to loosen that up to 18 months to be sure that we're capturing a time frame that they could really prove that they used to earn. But for the most part, it's just really working a lot longer hours than we've ever done. Um, just crying a lot with our clients. Which not something we would ever normally do. I mean, I think it's just really, um, you can feel how much they, they need you and they want to talk about it. And so even if it's what would normally have been our enrollment call that might have gone really simply, you might end up having an hour and a half conversation with somebody because you're doing it because they need it. But then you hang out the phone, you're like, oh gosh, I think I really needed that too. So um, so it's just an interesting time. As we talked about in a previous episode of Untangling the Cords, we're unlikely to know for months the true impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on mental wellness. The social isolation and financial hardship it's brought along will surely make for a challenging rebound. That's what makes the work of organizations like the Sims Foundation critical. Mental health resources are needed on a scale the country has really never seen before. The work the Sims Foundation does to help musicians overcome things like isolation, dependency and stigma have taken on a new sense of urgency. I wanted to learn more about the organization's practices and strategies. I know that your organization works to battle the stigma associated with mental health issues. Can you talk mm -hmm. a bit about the stigma and how you're helping to combat it? Yeah, I mean, that's the really scary part dealing with behavioral health issues is, you know, you have, you, everyone has a bias about it and um, you just can't escape it. And while I think we've made headway on we as a, as a society have made headway on shipping away at that it is still you still hear every single day many times a day when they're calling you because they are now full-on desperate um i'm not crazy i hope you don't think i'm crazy um people crying saying i i, I hope i hope you don't think i'm a bad person because of blank and it's really just because they're falling apart emotionally so that's the that's what we see all the time and then you also have cultural um, differences where some cultures you basically deal with any sort of issue within your family or within your community and you don't seek help so it's it that's really scary to me as a mental health professional that I know that there are people out there suffering but for whatever reason bias stigma culture they're being kept from accessing care so knowing that initially what we did is we went to the music venues and we said if we were gonna train your staff for free on whatever what would you want to know um, I got an earful. It was really a kind of a, a crash course in what it's like to work in a music venue, which was really interesting, but it did a couple of things. It really bonded Sims to our venues in a different way where they really saw us as a sounding board, a support. Um, so out of that, we built these venue trainings and we do a mental health 101. That's not to talk about what's bipolar and how, how does it affect you? It's really more around how do you communicate? If you see somebody in the venue struggling, what would you say? Um, what does a crisis look like? What happens when somebody 
is has told you they want to kill themselves like if you were to call the authorities so it's really a more systemic view of it we did a substance use 101 with naloxone training and we partner with another nonprofit here by the name of communities for recovery to do that and that's again to just sort of break down the I don't know the fear of maybe exploring if you have a substance problem we talk about it very openly and sort of um we just talk about it the way i'm talking to you we don't make yeah. it something like i'm up here telling you about this addiction we do talk a little bit about the disease itself but for the most part we talk about what recovery can look like um that we honor harm reduction because that is recovery um that that one right there always gets people they're like what i didn't think that was a thing um we talk about um being responsible in your use so if you are are an opioid user to have a buddy to use with so that one will be not using with the naloxone handy and you can have your time and then when you're sober again then that person can use so it's about safety it's about breaking down that sort of ugly side that i think people think of and then we train them on how to how to administer naloxone and then we partnered with the austin police department's um, sexual, uh, I always get this wrong, sexual assault response and resource team to do a training called Safe Bar, and that's around sexual assault and harassment in, in a bar setting. Um, all of that has really changed the way a lot of those venues look and think about these issues, and it's led to more people coming to us to because it broke down that, that stigma that I can't ask for help. It's made people call managers and say, hey, I think this person's in trouble on my staff. I don't know how to communicate around it. Can you help me? Um, so it's just really done a wonderful job of breaking down some of those walls. It also turned into a music festival that would have been the second one would have been this year, but obviously that's not happening. And it was called Safer Venues Fest, um, which was a lot of fun. I mean, it was just neat to be out there talking to the general public about what the venue trainings were and why we were doing it. Any advice for someone who is concerned, afraid to take that first step to seek help? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one because I've had it described to me many times in different uh, parts of my career that basically what the way it's been described is that phone feels like it's 10 million pounds. So you just can't even pick it up. What I would say is everything that you've seen in movies about what it's like to be in therapy, what it's like to have a substance use problem, what it's like to be depressed, is kind of over exaggerated BS and don't think about that. Just realize that the person on the other line is there for you. They just, they just want to talk to you and find out what you're struggling with. There's no judgment. Nobody's going to give you a diagnosis. It's really just a matter of, of support. And I think if you could, if those folks who are really struggling picking up that phone, if they could just realize it's really no different than talking to your best friend or talking to your mom or talking to your clergyman, but instead have those people, but with all this experience that could help you even more. All right, Patsy, anything that we didn't talk about that you'd want to add? You know, I would just say that I think for a lot of people, I get asked all the time, like, why do you, why would you have a nonprofit to support people in the music industry? And I think that's an interesting question because it never crossed my mind when I went to work there. It just seems so obvious to me. But I will say for anybody who hears this podcast and is wondering why this is important, when I'm in the presence of somebody who I'm trying to have be a funder and I'm trying to explain what we do, and I get that question regularly, I'll always ask them, have you ever had your heart broken? And you'll always get this weird, like, what? <laughs> and then, you know, blushing and, well, yes. 
And I'm, well, what did you do when you had your heart broken? You listened to that one song that meant something over and over and over until you got through it, right? And it's what we do with funerals and it's what we do with celebrations. And so why would we not want to support this entire industry that's incredibly difficult to sustain life in? Um, why would we not want to give back to them when they give so much to us? Betsy, thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks. On the next episode of Untangling the Chords, we'll talk with Al Andrews of Porter's Call, a nonprofit organization based in Franklin, Tennessee, that offers free mental health support to recording artists. I'd like to thank Patsy of the Sims Foundation for taking the time to talk with me in this episode, and you for listening to Untangling the Chords. Our writer is Anthony Alimo. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. If you or someone you know is struggling with a mental health issue, there's a list of free resources at soundmindslive.org resources. You can also enter for a chance to win a $50 iTunes gift card by completing a short five-question survey about Untangling the Chords at soundmindlive.org slash resources. The link to the survey is at the top of the page. We'll see you next time.